Liza Baker's son um, passed away about seven days ago now. Um, and these flowers are in honor of little Duke. Uh, Liza and Travis were married here in this church and uh, Brittany Downey sang God with us. And uh, so that's where his middle name comes from. And we sang that at um, his funeral a few days ago. And so if you... Um, have, uh, have space in, in your mind and heart to, to send Liza and Travis something through the Christensen's. Uh, please do. Please send cards, but especially be praying for, for them. It's going to be a long few months, and uh, I just want you to know, and everybody in here would love to be in this with you. And uh, it's okay to not have it together. It's okay for it to feel too hard. Okay? Uh, this is God's word to you today. Uh, it's about uh, the home and the workplace. So I hope, I hope it's very practical to you. Uh, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to jump into the text. Father, each uh, story in this room is holy. Each person uh, has an image of you that they have come with um, into this service. And so we ask, Lord, that you would meet us and that we would get to experience your spirit in and among us as your body. Um, teach us what it means to, to function in the world as little Christians, as little Christs in this world, um, in our homes, in our workplaces, uh, with the authority that's been given or not given to us. And Lord, help us to be wise with, and gentle with how we use uh, the roles in which we are to, to play in this world um, under your sovereign rule as king. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so from the beginning of, of chapter four, Paul has been describing what it means to be united to Christ and how that practically plays itself out in various spheres of your life. So he talks about how to stay unified with one another. He talked about how being united to Christ informs how we ought, ought to operate internally and how we ought to use the good gifts that God's given us. He, he's taught us how to function within our, in our marriage. And today he comes to the topic of uh, parents and children and uh, work, work, work life. Um, in our passage, and I'll get to this in a little bit, slaves and masters, but you can think of boss, boss and employees. Um, but the question here is, is one that has been very, very uh, heated lately. And it's the it's talking about the whole theme is talking about the use of authority and uh, how that can be uh, bad or or good. And the, right off the bat, we're, we're going to talk about something that doesn't specifically, uh, the text doesn't specifically address, but I wanted, I wanted to say something because it's been such a heated topic uh, in, in our world today that even those outside the church um, have been addressing. But it's the, it's the topic of spiritual abuse. Um, Diane Landberg just wrote a book called Redeeming Power, and it's a 
very, very interesting and good. And she, and she talks about that it's part, you know, power isn't, isn't bad, um, but it's how power is used that can, can go wrong. So she said part of bearing God's image in the world is that everybody is given some power in, in the realm in which you live. And she said when institutions like the family or the workplace or the church um, have various levels of power within it, it's inevitable that uh, there's danger there for power to be misused. And so she said, we need to talk about spiritual abuse today. And she said, one, one of the ways uh, that you can look for signs of spiritual abuse with, within specifically a church institution is when that spiritual leader becomes rude or bullying. And you, you have to watch that person to see what he or she does when something is pointed out about them that isn't positive. And you have to watch very closely to see if they have the ability to, to listen and to, to repent when needed. Um, do they have the capacity uh, to take uh, thoughts about them that, that are critical? Um, or do they just become more and more angry? So uh, the, the greatest leaders, and I would say this goes for those inside and outside the church. The greatest leaders are people who walk very humbly in front of others. Uh, knowing that there's only one leader that got it right. And it's the Lord Jesus himself. And that their leadership should point to that. So I just wanted to say that on the outset because lots of people have talked to me about, about spiritual abuse. Um, and I wanted to address that. So uh, the first point that we're going to look at is the blessing and danger of authority uh, in the home first. So the Bible confirms that the authority given to parents over their children is a good thing. That there, there's a modern approach to parenting that says that the job of a parent is not to get in the way of the child, that you're to let your, child, your, your children be who they want to be. And then, then there's an approach on the other end that can kind of tend towards overprotection and provoking your children with uh, too much fear. And that approach tends to stunt the child's growth and maturity and their ability to engage in the world outside the home. But what I want you to see in the Bible today is how, how genius it is, how remarkably balanced the scriptures are, and how uh, relevant it is to today's approach to parenting and to being children. It says that children, verse 1, ought to obey their parents, for this is right, verse 1. But parents should not provoke their children to anger, but bring them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. Uh, verse four, that translation has the connotation of parents becoming sort of like coaches for their children or apprenticing their children. The Jewish uh, way would be to walk with your children throughout their life and teach them what God's like. Teach them how to live and, and how to think. Now, I want to stop right there and explore this for a moment because every single one of us have been, has been affected by this, um, by our parents, by their presence or lack thereof in our lives. Most of us have experienced at some level parents either being too absent or loose or on the other side too, too strict. Or what's really confusing is if you have a parent that's kind of both. You know, alcoholic parents can tend to be like this, or overly angry parents can, like, you don't know which one you're going to get, the looser or the strict one. And uh, Dan Allender says, the reason why that's so confusing is because when, when we're born into this world, children are always asking two very fundamental questions in the environment in which they're raised. 
And we all asked this when we were little. First question, am I loved? And second question, can I get my own way? And Dan Allender, uh, he wrote this in his book, How Children Raise Parents, which is a great title. Um, he, he said over and over and over again, what you have to do for the benefit of your children is tell them, yes, you are loved, unconditionally loved. And you got to tell them that in thousands of different ways. But no, you can't get your own way sometimes. That those two things have to be present for the flourishing of your children. Now, most of us think, just by default, this is how we come into the world uh, as human beings. Most of us think, if you love me, you're going to give me what I want. But you know that that's not true. Even for yourself, if you don't put parameters on what you want all the time, it's, it's not good for you. Many of you have had a parent that you controlled in your home and you knew it. Like you controlled how they responded to you. Them liking you and, them, and you liking them was more important to them than, than their parenting in your life. So your desires were never questioned. Many children who grew up with that sort of lack, lack of boundary or parental authority in their lives, what, they, what happens when they become adults is that they struggle to operate in the world. And the reason why is because they have been looking their whole life for someone to tell them what to do or tell them what not to do. And when you never have like an authoritative parental voice spoken into your life like that, you're going to get into the world and all sorts of people are going to tell you what to do and what not to do. And you're going to be really, really confused and you tend to be frail and always hurt. And the scriptures say it's most beneficial to children when, they're there, when there's that, that strong love, but also that firm prevention of things that you sometimes want in your life. Coupled together, and you hold that intention. But he's also addressing parents here, and he's saying, discipline is most effective when it's done in humility. Because, and this is Paul's point, we too are under the discipline of the Lord as his children, and we as parents sometimes need the Lord's correction in our life too, right? Parents mess up. Um, one of the most meaningful things that you can do for your children is to teach them that you have authority in their life, but that you also have the courage to apologize. Um, one of the most searing memories in my life was when I was a little boy, I was probably like four or five years old, I started fake crying for some bogus reason uh, about something my dad didn't do. And uh, I was wanting to make him feel bad. And he knew, he knew it. And I knew it, that I was faking it. And, and here's what he did in front of the whole family. He got down on his knees at eye level with me. And he said this with all sincerity. He said, Matt, I am so, so very sorry. And it made me never, ever want to fake cry again. And, and the wisdom of my father was that it was more important and, that, and more powerful for him to be humble than right in that moment. Authority uh, within the family can be a good thing. And is meant to be, it's meant to be a blessing to children. 
And it's, it says it's right. It's right for you to obey your parents. Paul even quotes from the Ten Commandments here in verses 2 and 3. He said, you do this so that you may live long in the land. It's for their flourishing. Obviously, these are general principles. Uh, there have been instances where children under abusive parents needed to disobey their parents. And that w- is right. And also there have been uh, obedient children that have died young. And what Paul is talking about is he's talking general uh, terms and he's speaking to the majority of people. But I want to I want to uh, say something before we move on to the workplace uh, to both, both children and parents, um, children. And that kind of goes for all of us because we're all we all have parents in here. Uh, but I want to speak to children. Being a parent is really, really difficult. It's hard. Because you're always wondering as a parent, um, am I being too hard? Am I being too soft? Am I disciplining because I'm annoyed? Or is this going to be helpful to my children? And if, if parents are somewhat engaged, those are the questions that you, your parents have been asking about you for your entire life. And if your parents have failed you, which they have because we're all sinners... Uh, you need this is this is for children. You need to be gracious to your parents. The measure Jesus says this, the measure you use will be measured to you. So take that into account. Um, the, this is a sermon for another day, but forgiveness is the only freedom from the bondage of past hurt. But we need to talk about that on another day to parents. The fatal flaw just like in church leadership is to deny or diminish our children's experience of us as parents. Like if your parents are, when they grow up, if they're ever brave enough to say, Hey, this is what it was like growing up in the home that you created for me. Um, we, we have to have the humility to listen as parents, no matter how wrong we think it might be. As a friend of mine, who, he had six daughters. He was in his 60s. And he said, he said, Matt, being a parent is so hard at every stage. Everybody's just winging it. No one really knows what they're doing. And he said, I thought I knew what I was doing when I was in my 30s. And Matt, I did so much damage to my daughters. As I get older, he said, my my daughters are grown women now with their own children. He said, I hold my convictions with humility because of the pain I cause those I love most. Paul is giving us these commands to be obeyed in the Lord. That whatever you have going on in your life, there's something else going on. And it's Jesus's kingship over your circumstances. And what that means is that his sovereign care over your life, as hard as it is, and it's hard in seasons, is ultimately good. It's ultimately for you to find him beautiful. It's ultimately for you to image God in this world by how you exist in those roles. Whether you're a parent or a child, you obey your parents because you are submitting to the Lord behind their imperfect authority. Authority is a blessing in the home. It can also be a blessing in the workplace. And so uh, look there at verses five through nine. And so the obvious the obvious thing, you know, you got the word slave and master in this passage. The obvious thing we need to address is the societal norm 
in the Greco-Roman first century. Uh, we immediately read that through our United States Western lens. Uh, uh, slavery in that day was not race-based like it was in the history of our country. And one-third of the Greco-Roman society were slaves. And uh, the gospel is for everyone. It's for slaves and uh, masters in the first century. And Paul's not going to leave out one-third of the population of, of his world. Now, historical records show that some slaves in the first century were treated poorly, but some were not. Uh, some, in fact, liked their masters so much that they would take their ear and nail it to the home of their master's house to say, I want to be a part of this household until I die. That was called a bondservant. Um, and so in, uh, it reads in verse 5, the Greek would say, Bondservant, listen to your earthly masters with fear and trembling, and be an honest worker even when your master's not around. Now, this doesn't mean um, that the Bible is condoning slavery. Paul is simply speaking into a culture um, and addressing what's there and how we ought to think about the authority structures in place over us. Now, in, in the same way, we have employers, we have to submit as employers, we have to submit to the demands of those over us to make a living. Um, and if you practice, if you look at verses six through eight, if you actually practice what's in those verses, you would be amazed at what your bosses will say about you on your resume. Like if you work just as hard when no one else is around as when you are being watched, you will be uh, coveted for people to come work for you because your employer will see you as an honest and sincere person. And they'll want you to come work for their business. And the reason a Christian servant is honest is because we believe that there's a more important set of eyes watching us than our bosses. And it's the boss, the boss of the cosmos. If you live your life like this in secret reverence for Christ, uh, people will fight to get you. People will want your opinion because you're straightforward, but you're also kind. Now, I want to think about this from, from the other end of the spectrum. Let's say that one day you yourself are a boss and you have people under you in a specific sphere. Um, what are we to know as Christians if we are the CEO? Obviously, Paul, this is what I love about the church. Paul's addressing both types, so that probably means you had both types in the church. Parents, children, bosses, employees. And he says, there is one master that we all must submit to, all of us, and he's good, and he shows no partiality. Verse 9, masters, stop your threatening, stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no partiality with him. Now, I've been thinking about this. Um, how, how can you, as a boss, not show favoritism? You know, if, if you're a leader of any sort, you have to make uh, choices to place people in positions, and sometimes you have to remove people from positions. And how in the world can you do that in a way that's not harmful? Here's how. In the text. This is what's behind it all. Fearing God and not people. 
that there is a more dominant reality to what you say and how you think and how you process and the decisions that you make than the people around you and what they can do to you or what they can't do for you. That the dominant thing that controls your mind and the decisions that you make is that the Lord is here and that you are to submit to his control of your life through fearing the Lord and not, not fearing what might happen to you if you make decisions that are hard. That's the wisdom of all authority and service as a boss or leader. You know, you got to make these painful decisions that keep you up at night with the full awareness that in God's eyes, you are in their position too. That it's hard because you, you envision yourself in their position too in God's sight. That's why the best bosses started at the bottom and they know what it's like to be told what to do, to take orders and to listen. And it allow, if, if you're in any sort of leadership position, you have to hold several opposing views in tension at all times. And you have to make decisions in the midst of discomfort. And you got to do it calmly. One of the clearest pictures of this that we see in Scripture is found in Matthew 8. And I actually want you to turn there. Matthew 8. There's this uh, Roman centurion starting in verse 5. And what I want you to notice is that how free this guy is from entitlement. To describe, before I get into the text, I, I want to set it up. To describe how uh, important a Roman centurion was in the first century. Like if you could combine uh, a political person of power with a really popular musician and a professional athlete. Like this is how Roman centurions were looked at in the ancient world, the first century in the Greco-Roman society. They were powerful. If they walked into the room, everyone would be looking at them and wanting to be near them and kind of revering them, except the Jews. The Jews saw them as the enemy. The Jews saw the Roman centurion as the people in the way of me fully and faithfully worshiping God. And this guy has a felt need and in comes Jesus into the midst of that weird tension. And it says this, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I'll come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word and my servant will be healed. And this is the part I love. He says, because he understands authority. He says, for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go and he goes and to another, come and he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. And what he sees about Jesus is all you have to do is say the word. I know what kind of power you have. Now, when Jesus heard this, it's very rare to, to make the God of the universe marvel. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many are going to come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed And the servant was healed at that very moment. You know what he got? You know what he understood? 
the gospel. That we are all helpless and unworthy. And that in God's sight, our power, whatever power we wield in this, in this life, is like a tiny little drop in the bucket compared to his power. And we are unworthy for him to even stoop down and come to us. That we are all helpless like a little baby. Unable to survive if it wasn't for his sustaining care at all times. Do you, if you're a boss in here, do you remember that? Do you remember the gospel? That you are helpless without him. The danger of having authority in this life over people is to think that you're somehow better, that you earned your way up to the top, that you deserve this position. When the gospel gets a hold of people in charge, it changes your whole dynamic of power. It obliterates it from the world's perspective. You know, you, you begin to recognize that your, your, your position was a gift and you are to handle it with great care because you know your own weakness and sin and limitations and that you are unworthy. That's what happens when the gospel gets a hold of CEOs and bosses. When Jesus gets a hold of someone it makes the most powerful people humble and it dignifies the most humble people. Everything's going to get leveled out in the end. That's what judgment day is about. The valleys are going to get raised up. Mountains are going to be brought down. Everyone's going to be equal because we're all in Christ. Those in positions of authority who have met Jesus. And this is what you are to look for when you think about elders and deacons and pastors. Leaders who know Jesus should embrace exposure. They should embrace their own weaknesses in front of everybody. Because it helps others see Jesus. Uh, when I graduated from seminary, there was a guy named Leo Schuster who was given, giving this commencement speech. And he was like this kind of golden boy of our denomination. And he told this story to us all going out into the world as ministers of the gospel. He said, you know, when I graduated, I had one of my professors come up to me and he sort of discerned this about me that I was, you know, kind of this golden boy. And he said, Leo... Always remember how a turtle gets to be on top of a fence post. Someone has to put them there. They don't get there on their own. And he told us that as we went out into the world to be ministers of the gospel, um, the abuse of power is always a failure to believe something very fundamental about the gospel, which is that all of life is a gift. You didn't earn a thing. And if it's taken away from you, that would be right. That would be fair. Which leads us to our next point. What, what does authority even point to? What, what's it for? Um, as a Christian, there has to be a time in your life where you realize that whatever position you've been given has been granted to you by God's grace. And it is to be used and wielded to reflect God's beauty. That's why you're here on this earth. And that frees you to grant submission to your faulty parents and your faulty bosses or whoever's in authority over you because you ultimately are submitting to Christ who is good in the midst of your circumstances. That doesn't mean that we don't call out injustice or abuse of power. 
What it does mean is that every person in a place of power is sinful. And so what you're looking for in leaders, in the workplace, in the home, in the church, is people who are willing to repent. And who are they themselves willing to sit under the authority of Jesus Christ himself? That's what repentance points to, that you're not in charge of your life, that you're willing to change, that you don't have control over yourself in terms of how you operate in this world, that he's the king. Our authority, our repentance, our sin, our accomplishments, our good work for the Christian has one aim in mind, and it's to look to Jesus, to reflect him. That's the goal. Um, I'll close with this. One uh, pastor, Sinclair Ferguson, he told this story about a shoe shiner in New York, and this uh, shoe shiner apparently shines shoes so well that it was very, very noticeable. And he was uh, coveted to get there, you know, to go get your shoes shined by him. And so somebody asked him once, hey, why do you shine those shoes so well and take all the time to meticulously do each shoe? And he responded, because if the Lord Jesus were to put these shoes on, I'd want him to see how beautiful his reflection is. And I love that. Is that, is that how you think about your job? Your parenting? You know, you clean a poopy diaper. The Lord Jesus sees that. You fire somebody. Jesus sees that. Make a lot of money. Jesus sees that. And it's his. And it's for him. That you live your life simply in acknowledgement that, hey, God's God and I'm not. And therefore, if my circumstances are unideal, like shoe shining, okay, I'm going to do whatever I got to do in front of me to give glory to God. And so whatever, you know, we're, we're all probably going to fulfill all these roles in our lives at some point. Employee, boss, child, parent. Um, what you need to recognize is that there is a metric in heaven that is undiscernible to us here. But God knows. And God will judge you based upon your belief in Jesus. That when you have faith in him, what that does is that you do work hard. You do work well. You do put it all out there because you don't have anything to lose. You're not stressing out about your circumstances. You're, you, you don't trust in high positions and you don't get bummed out about low positions. And so you're free because you don't have to prove anything because of Jesus's wise rule over your life. And in our use of authority and submission, what we are to show people is what Jesus is like. Here's the false narrative uh, in, in our church um, that we're we're unable to do that. We're just worthless. Um, Being unworthy and worthless are two different things. God wants you to be his image towards other people, and you can. That's not pride. It's what you were made to do, to show up in people's life and show them Christ because he's in you, the hope of glory. Let's pray. 
Father, help us to uh, not wield our authority in harmful ways and help us to not submit in resentful and cynical and entitling ways, but help us to whatever's in front of us, whether we have uh, positions of lowliness or authority, um, help us to know that there's something else going on in heaven and that you rule and that you're wise. And that in your sight and under your rule, we are all in the same place, which is safe and loved. And no, we're not going to get our own way. Love because you first loved us We want to love like you